like my friends and my cousins, like they would like, I like to mention that I, they would play like Barbie, you know, like the dream car. Yeah. And I was the radio. So they would like, so yeah, I would sing the backup, like the background music of their games. And I would just make up something, you know, because, like, when you're a little kid, what songs do you really know? I would just make up something. And I I grew up singing in church, and so I would get up and sing with the youth choir. And, like, uh, I remember that I was very little when they would get me to sing solos. And I just really enjoyed getting to sing in front of people. And so... Come down to the riverlands, howling like wolves in the moonlight. Step back in time with me, darling, watch me brown. Take me far from the airplane noise, from the shining toys that they're building on my homeland. Take me down to the river and let me drown my woes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in the Limelight. I'm your host, Jay Huller. As a quick reminder, please follow us on Instagram at Living in the Limelight Show and check out our website at livinginthelimelight.com. And of course, you can find our podcasts through all the major streaming services, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check us out also on YouTube at Living in the Limelight Podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation with a different artist where we delve into what makes them tick and sometimes we get pro tips on pursuing a career as an artist. If you are a performer or know someone who is and would like to be considered for our show, check out the questionnaire at livinginthelimelight.com and thanks so much for listening. Fun fact, only 2% of the population of the world are redheads and Jana Jennings makes music as unique as her fiery red hair. At 22 years old, she's already amassed 80 copyrighted songs, two albums, an EP, 11 singles, and she's received 25 nominations and coveted music awards. She's also received the honor of Folk Americana Bluegrass Vocalist of the Year in 2019, 2020, 2021, and possibly 2023 at the Josie Music Awards. She's amassed on Spotify alone over 100,000 streams, and she's also built a uniquely dedicated global fan base. But beneath all of this glitz and glamour is simply an artist who wants to share authentically their craft with you. Let's welcome Jana Jennings to Living in the Limelight. Hello? Is this Jana? Yes. Hey, welcome to Living in the Limelight. Hi! <laughs> it's so great to meet you finally. We've been connected. Oh, great um, to meet you too. Yeah, we've been connected for, I think, years now um, through Instagram and um that's one of my favorite things is is connecting for real and kind of hearing directly from the artist um, themselves. So I was doing a little deep dive a minute ago, and I usually like to start with the beginning. Um, but for you, I'd love to start with what's coming up. And uh, I know you're you're up for your I think your fourth um, Josie Award in October. And yes. Can you like talk about that process because there may be some young artists out there who have heard of them and don't know um, what the process is like and kind of like your, your appreciation of it and your participation in it and all that kind of thing, just kind of paint it for us. Yeah. Okay. So those awards are um, just kind of like independent Grammys. Like they're like a version of 
of awards that are just for artists who are doing everything independently, which I love because as an independent artist, like there's just so many more things you have control over. And so I love that that's being celebrated this way and that um, there's that kind of role along with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what happens is there's a panel who judges all the submissions and then they'll nominate. Um, And they always have like a crazy amount of submissions. So it's always so exciting, like to read (laughs) who's nominated because it's like, my gosh, there's so many submissions this year. Um, And then the panel will decide the award winner. um, And then at the show, you find out who won. Um, The award show is at the Grand Ole Opry House this October. And so that's a dream. Like, (laughs) <laughs> the fact that you can walk the red carpet at the Grendel Opry House know, is right? unfathomable. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. And so uh, my two unreleased songs, I have a song called Up the Mountain and a song called The Wind. They've been recognized for songwriter achievement. It's an award category that um, songwriters can submit their entire catalog. Oh. And then out of that whole catalog, Like, if they like one of your songs, then they will award that song. Um, So it's just crazy to me that two of my songs got this recognition, considering, like, my whole catalog and everything got submitted. Lots and lots of songwriters submitted their catalog. So I thought that was a really incredible category. They're doing the, um, like, awarding of that, like, the... um, the part where they recognize the songwriters in that in that category oh. at the Opry House the night before oh. in Studio A where they filmed CNC Crossroads. Yes, so I'm like, oh, that is going to be so cool! <laughs> like, I'm the so the excited. Look, yeah, yes, that's amazing. Oh, you just had me thinking that it's un- almost unfathomable if you have many artists submitting their whole catalog. Let's let's flip the script a little bit on that and imagine that you're on the panel. And you have someone's catalog mm. that you're looking at and listening to. What would you look for? I know you don't have like the rubric and the criteria that they have, but if they just said, "Hey, Jana, let's let's get you in there and and make you you know part of our selective committee and just tell us what you think," what would you appreciate um, about your fellow artists and what would you look for and listen to? I love this question. Okay, <laughs> um, because I I. I'm really passionate about working with other songwriters. And so when someone comes to me and they're like, I've written this song, I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to dive into this. So if I was on the panel, something that I would really look for is, um, I know this is going to sound like really cheesy, but like something super original and Mm -hmm. something super authentic, because I think there's a real color by numbers kind of thing going on Mm -hmm. with music right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean. (laughs) So, I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of go through the script in your head of like what some songs and some genres are supposed to say and what right. how they're supposed to sound. So, hearing like a super cool chord progression, that would that would be like a really cool standout thing for me to hear somebody crafting something that's that's outside of the box. Um, and I really like personal lyrics. Mm-hmm. One of the songs that. I'm really surprised got recognized is the wind. And the reason why I'm surprised that it got recognized is because it's like, it's one of my most personal songs I've ever written. And so I think it was really cool that the panel was like, they were looking for something that was unique to, a, to 
a person. Like I feel like that song could have only come from me. Mm-hmm. And so I would definitely be looking for songs like that if I was on the panel, like something where I could listen to a song and really feel like I understood that artist's story and where they're coming from. Interesting. Yeah, I, I could. It seems like a just an unattainable thing to do because you're going to have to disappoint some people and you're going to make other people happy. But you're right. Um, if there's a lot that look the same, then maybe something different um, would be selective and, and, and nice to see. So congratulations yeah. on all of that. And um, Thank you. I hope in October we can put your name up in the bright lights like they've been many times and uh, and just and keep. Thank you. Yeah, keep um, praising you. So um, now we can go backwards because that's that's so exciting coming up for you. But now, now that you're kind of an established artist and you're in the field and you're really pushing to do it, I'd love to go back and see where you first started thinking about doing this. And for some people, I don't know, it's five. For some people, it's 10. Um, Do you remember like a a particular moment that um, you just kind of thought in your head, well, um, maybe this, not because as a little kid, you might not think the future future, but like, this is kind of fun. Like, I kind of like it. Do you, do you have like a, a, a moment that you remember? Yes and no. So I (laughs) feel like it was songwriting for me has been something I've done my whole life. Like I don't have a moment where I remember being like, I could write songs or like, I don't even remember writing my first song because it was something that I just did all the time. Like my friends and my cousins, like they would like, I like to mention that I, they would play like Barbie, you know, like the dream car. Yeah. And I was the radio. So they would like, so yeah, I would sing the backup, like the background music of their games. And I would just make up something, you know, because like when you're a little kid, what songs do you really know? I would just make up something. And I I grew up singing in church. And so I would get up and sing with the youth choir. And like, uh, I remember that I was very little when they would get me to sing solos. And I just really enjoyed getting to sing in front of people. And so, I remember the first time I really realized that, I mean, had more of a vision of it because I think I always knew that my life was going to be really centered around music. Mm -hmm. But the moment that I had the epiphany of, I could do this for a career. This is what I want to do. And this is what I want it to look like. And these are my goals. I think I was listening to a Taylor Swift album, Hanging Up Clothes in My Closet. I think I was probably like seven or eight. And I was like, I think there's like, there's people out there that are doing music as a career. And I think I could maybe do that. (laughs) And so that's, I feel like it was something I always knew I wanted to do. I just never knew that you could do it and get paid for it. Yeah. And that's hard as a kid to realize that because you see people in uniforms, they're policemen and they're firemen and all of that. And you know that they're getting paid to do it, but that it's sort of intangible on the radio or they're not in front of you. If you're not at the concert, you're like, well, I'm hearing this song. Yeah. You're just hearing (laughs) that you're just, yeah. And music is something that's so, I mean, it's always been the background of everything. So it's so like an untouchable thing. I remember like in the car listening to music and and not really appreciating that there was a person somewhere that wrote that song and recorded that and put their, their heart into doing that. It was just the thing that we did while we were driving in the car. Like we heard this music. And so it never really occurred to me that music was anything more than just 
what you like you sing when you want to or you hear someone else sing and it, you know it's just something that's so out in the out in the space to yeah. me <laughs> whenever I was so when I found out that there's somebody who is writing down their life experiences and, and they can actually like do it and then send it out into the world and you can listen to it I mean that blew my mind and so I, I want to be the person that writes the songs that somebody else hangs up their clothes to in their room. <laughs> I want to write the songs that other people sing and hang their clothes up to. I love that. And I, just keeping on Taylor Swift a little bit. Um, so at that age of seven and eight, you are appreciative of her storytelling because you were mm-hmm. kind of hanging up your clothes and thinking about her life and her trials and whatever. And so you, would you say that that's one of your inspirations as an artist um, to move forward? Definitely. I think she was the first person that made me realize that what you go through in your life or what you're thinking can turn into a song or can turn into something that you give to someone else. Because I was, I I mean, at seven and eight, I wasn't really relating to her songs about high school and (laughs) dating and stuff, but I was like, this is like, this is what she's going through. So her storytelling became I think like that was the moment that I realized that people told stories with songs because I grew up listening to my mom's favorite artists were um, Carly Simon and Joni Mitchell and they became my favorite artists. Um, and so I feel like just storytelling like that where they were just kind of showcasing femininity and showcasing just their lives and putting things out in just such a truthful aspect. It was like, I want to be able to write where it's such a, you know, Joni Mitchell seems like you feel like she's talking to you. And that's something that I really wanted to take from her. And then from Taylor Swift, it's like just the way that she paints just such vivid pictures with her songs. I, I want to tell a really in-depth story in a way that feels super conversational. So yeah, I would definitely say she's been a big influence on my music. That's amazing. And you made me think um, during that when you're explaining about the, the art of storytelling from the storyteller's uh, personal like soul. And I'll go ahead Mm -hmm. and own up to this. You know, when I put something down on paper, um, I'm not a singer, so you won't hear that probably, but when I put something down on paper to provide to somebody, if you think back to school environment, um, if it was at all personal, I, I, it was, it was really tough for me. Did you have a, like a barrier or have you always just been, Hey, this is, this is my life. Take it and, and, and consume it and listen to it. And, or it, or is there some hesitancy? Has there been hesitancy for you to share overshare or go too, too in depth because I always wonder about that. You know, like when you say Taylor Swift is like opening her life up and, and saying it to everyone, uh, is that something that you relish and look forward to doing in the, in the art of music or is there some trepidation, some like, Ooh, I'm not sure at some point. Right now I'm really eager to just say what I want to say in music. And I've, given myself permission to do that more recently in my life and has not always been the case because I I was writing from a very personal cathartic kind of space for a long time before I started really recording and putting things out in the world Uh and then when I was making my first album I was 
16 years old. And I guess something about like being a teenager just makes you really self-conscious, you know? So yeah. I was thinking, what are the, what is the engineer thinking about this? Like, is he thinking about I'm not being too personal or like, so that started to kind of get in my head. Um, and then there was, and I still stand by like my mission statement has always been that I want to spread a message of hope with my music. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of ways that has been a guiding light for me and has been a really important structure of my career, but it has also, it kind of turned into something that was really inhibiting for me because I would write something where I'm feeling sad or I'm like trying to express, you know, just like being open. I have struggled with depression for many years. So like writing songs from that standpoint, I was like, I can't put this out because I've told everybody I want to spread hope and I mm. don't want to depress anybody and I don't want to reveal so much. Like, I, yeah. I also think there was some kind of level of shame about that for me. Like I was thinking when I was writing, I was like, I can't, everybody thinks I'm so happy and everybody thinks that I need to be happy to make them happy mm-hmm. with my songs. And so I need to, I, and so I would kind of filter myself. I would kind of, close the vent and be like okay i have to write with this specific direction of of uplifting music and uh so that became a that that was really hard for me to get past because i was trying to write music and i was like this is just not how i feel and i want to be authentic and i want to i want i mean and it hit me one day that there are probably people who feel exactly as i feel and hearing that will help them Mm -hmm. find hope and so I know that for me, maybe this is <laughs> maybe this is silly to say, but like I know that whenever I was really struggling, I would not have really enjoyed hearing something of what I was saying, like the fake positivity <laughs> that I was that I was trying to write of yeah. like everything is fine. Like I would have not enjoyed hearing that. So and not that I think I would have really liked to hear a sad song or something, but I think I I gave myself permission to be like, what if I just told the truth about myself and my life and allowed myself to re re like take back songwriting for myself as something that I use to just get it off my chest and just put it down on paper and out of my mind Mm -hmm. Um, because that's how it had always been for me before of like okay I've said everything I want to say because you never really get three minutes of somebody of some stranger's time while they're driving to (laughs) (laughs) to really put your heart out there it's easier, I think, sometimes to tell a stranger stuff than it would be to tell your family or yeah, your friends. I see that. And so I was like, they might need to hear this because they might be trying to say this and not have anyone to, to, to tell it to. And then after I did that, my music started connecting with people in a way that I never expected that it would. And I think that just allowing myself to be authentic and take that space again has has spread more hope than I was doing before because people are connecting with it like that they see that this is a an authentic story and they're also seeing that I maybe like struggled with that but I'm also like doing well and like I'm I'm handling it <laughs> and like I think that's a real victory story right there like that it shows that you can you can get past whatever whatever depression you might be battling or whatever anxiety you're facing, you can, you can overcome those things. And so I think being honest about it helped me spread more hope and get past those inhibitions. 
I think that's great. And I, I don't know, maybe at some point um, in listening to some of the um, songs along the way that the artists that inspired you, you might have heard uh, some downers, right? Some some people that were struggling a little bit and that perhaps in, inspired you. It, it's hard to say, but I, I love what you said about that because there are, we're all different and we all carry what we carry. And I, I believe that. I believe that, that songs can inspire people even from a, a dark place because if they're there in that moment, they have a friend. They have someone who's doing this, who's going through the same thing and they can relate. And then to, mm-hmm. to come out on the other side um, better is, is inspirational. The comeback stories are to me like the best movies and the best books. So the someone who's struggling at the yeah. beginning and then they, they strive in the mm-hmm. end. So thank you for opening up and being authentic because I'll tell you as a music fan, and I know there are others out there, we, we can see it. Like we can hear it and we're like, Oh, that's really them. And, and yeah. we don't want, you know, to, some of the fake stuff that's out there. It's hard. It's like, okay, yeah, that's great. But um, yeah. You're, and you're absolutely right about the independent music scene is um, it's great just to kind of explore and uh, generate music directly from the heart. So I applaud you for that. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, so do you have any other performers in your family? Were you bis- like kind of like the kid who was writing songs in going in your room and playing with instruments or did you have other people <laughs> right around you c- encouraging you and helping you with that? I know you said church was a good place, but anywhere else? Yeah. So both. Yeah. So, um, in my immediate family, I was the only one that was writing and performing and, um, like I would just get my guitar. I definitely was the the person that got my guitar and went in the, <laughs> my room and would come out 10 minutes later and be like, you guys listen, I wrote this song. Oh. What do you think? And so that was, that was the origin of that. But before I started getting into like actually putting music to my songs and everything, I have a cousin who is in bluegrass and she owns a music store where they would have these big bluegrass concerts every couple Saturday nights a month. Um, every couple, a couple Saturdays out of the month. Yeah. And I was like nine years old and I was like, I really want to do music. And I had absolutely no idea where to begin. So she let me come and sing in the intermission oh. between bands ah. at these bluegrass shows. Yeah. And I knew no songs that were bluegrass songs. I knew like Taylor Swift songs and I knew... <laughs> Disney songs and so um, I learned to sing jingles and I was like sing jingles at intermission (laughs) and she encouraged me to learn to play an instrument and the first instrument I learned how to play was the auto harp um, because I had seen one at my school on exotic instrument day and I was like (laughs) I really need this (laughs) I need this (laughs) this. this so that was the first was that was the first instrument I learned how to play so I took it to the bluegrass shows and played Christmas songs on it like I would play I would hold it and strum and sing and I met my guitar instructor there he's um he said he would play guitar for me if I would sing Amazing Grace and I was like sure um, and then he became my guitar teacher. And from there I started learning piano. And then I was like, I've have all these songs. I've it's very funny though, that when I was like nine years old and I was doing these bluegrass shows, I would write songs, but I had no idea that 
I guess I don't know why I didn't know this, but like I thought that if you recorded yourself singing your song when you heard it back, like that it was gonna sound amazing and like you were gonna have a band <laughs> and stuff behind you. And my dad had this little like this little recorder that looks very nineties. And I was like, can I use this, Dad? I'm going to make a CD. Oh. And he was like, sure, go see if it works. And so I went and recorded my 30-second songs that I wrote at school into it. And I was bitterly disappointed. I was like, is this really what I sound like? Oh. It was like the first time I heard myself <laughs> into it when I was recording. And I was like, Dad, there's no drums. There's no guitars. Uh, and like, looking back on it, like, that was so dumb. But um, that was... <laughs> That was kind of my, that was my origin story of like why I started wanting to learn to play instruments so that I could put, I could accompany myself with my songs because I realized that I was going to have to do that. <laughs> going to have to do that for myself. Yeah. It's funny. And independent artists do tend to do that. I've noticed is like just by necessity, right? Cause it's hard to get a full mm-hmm. band together sometimes because there's time in between. Just, gigs, learn so. the just learn yeah. all the instruments. Yeah. That's one of the, the coolest things I appreciate. Um, I don't know if you know this, but, um, uh, Eddie Van Halen's son um, is a multi-instrumentalist and uh, he puts out music under the name Mammoth um, and so he plays drums, he plays bass, he sings, lead guitar. That is so cool. The whole thing. If you watch one of his videos, it's one of his first music videos, he walks through like all of it <laughs> and then it, th- this is kind of like the realization you had. He's kind of like, wait, if I, if I go on tour, I, I got to have people. <laughs> I got to have a drummer. Have people play for me. Yeah, so yeah. You, you got to recruit some a little bit later. I, I want to know, is there any video of any of that bluegrass stuff that it is in existence? Yes, <laughs> there is. There are, like, on some people's YouTube. <laughs> okay, so it's around. If, do a deep dive it's on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good yeah, to know. There, and I did sing with the bluegrass. Like, I did, one of those bands let me sing with them. So there's me, there's me singing with a bluegrass band looking incredibly nervous. Oh, of course. <laughs> We're on YouTube in the archives. <laughs> <laughs> you know what that, that whole story tells me, though, is you have an innate love for music because you were just, you, you had to go with it. And you no matter what equipment you had around, you're like, Dad, I got to use this. And then when the, the, the product, your final 30-second product was done, you're like, wait, something's missing. Because you'd <laughs> given everything that you, well, you gave everything you had, but there was something missing because you loved the art of music and you knew it had mm-hmm. other pieces. So I, I think yeah. that's great because I love that you, the passion was there from early on and that you're just, you're, you're continuing to nurture it. So I, I'd love for you to define a term for me because I'm going to come at this from complete ignorance, but um, let's jump into Southern Gothic Romance. Ooh, yes, my new album. <laughs> yes. Um, and tell me, like, the the genre that you would paint it into and what that, because we're, we're going to be talking about a visual album and you're going to have to talk to me about that too, but what the concept is behind all of it. Just to give me the the whole shebang of, of the album, the concept of doing the visuals with it, and as as if no one, no one knew anything about it because they are going to know everything about it after you tell us. Yes. I've been, I'm excited that you asked this because I have so much to say about this. So I have been in the genre Americana for many years mm-hmm. um, from my first album on. I think my first album was 
I think if you look at the genre on like iTunes or something, it's going to say country. But like after that, I wanted, I wanted to really push boundaries of like what I, what I wanted my music to sound like. So everything that I would do, I was like, okay, this has, this is very naturey. So everything kind of fit under Americana because Americana is a, is a genre that can facilitate a lot of different sounds and mm-hmm. mixing other genres in. And so I, I would say this album is my most folk album I've ever done. Um, because before I was, I was incorporating a lot of elements into one genre, but this one, I was like, I've been in Americana for so long. And I felt like since my roots were in bluegrass and doing bluegrass shows, and that was really mm-hmm. like where I learned everything. I was thinking I really wanted to do, you know, I don't know how long I'll do Americana because I, I love trying out other genres and I love not being inhibited to like stay in one thing yeah. and so because of that i was like I, I i want to honor my bluegrass americana folk roots and do a really dark folk album <laughs> and so um and so that was where my mind was for a long time but i didn't know exactly what i wanted it to sound like but years ago i had written a song called southern gothic romance and i i tend to write full projects when I write one song like I'll write one song and then the next couple weeks I'm like okay wow I have another 12 song project what am I gonna do and so this album I kept rewriting and every time I would rewrite it that song would be like track one and so I knew that I I was like well you know this has been something that stuck with me for so long and looking back over my life southern gothic literature has really followed me everywhere Mm -hmm. um I went to William Faulkner's house, like the, um, you know how you can go see famous houses? Yes. When I was very little, I went to William Faulkner's house. And then ever since, ever since then, I just, everything, like everywhere I go, it's like, oh, this is the William Faulkner thing. And so I started to really fall in love with the Southern Gothic genre of literature. And Flannery O'Connor is one of my favorite authors and she's a Georgia girl. And so, um, I was like looking, so I live in a a area that has been very rural for a long time. Uh Um, we just built a house on our family land and I think we're the sixth generation to live here. That's so cool. Um, it has been, yeah, we have, been here for a long time and more recently our very rural area is has become very not rural anymore we have one of the very last places um that you know we live in this one little square yeah we live in this little square of undeveloped area and it's slowly being developed and for me that i mean and maybe i sound like i feel like i sound hypocritical because we did build a house but I feel really sad to see it change so much. Um, and there are so many people who moved here and I'm like excited that they moved here, but also like they do not know the history of the area very much. And I'm like, this, this is such like a, this is a very, for better or for worse, there's a lot of history in this area. And I wish that, you know, there's so many places that are being torn down that are so important. Uh-huh. In my opinion, just for memorial sake and for like understanding the, you know, the where this area came from. Yeah. Um, 
for better or for worse. And um, so I was looking at how like there's literally <laughs> no more place to build anything and all the houses are so close together and there's so much traffic because in this very it was so rural just you know years before Mm -hmm. so we don't have like a lot of the roads are just not accommodating (laughs) there was no planned infrastructure for the the, the boom yes there was no planned infrastructure this was not a good this was not a good thing (laughs) it could have been better um but seeing it change so much i was like i would like to capture this before it's gone like i would like to capture the essence of like the the we have um on our on our farm we have trees that are called knee bent trees and um that's they're really cool because it's 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 folklore that they're they point toward buried treasure because um we had a lot of cherokee native americans live um in this area so there's a lot of that history that's like just completely gone with yeah. all the new development. I know exactly what and you're so. talking about. I've seen those trees. My wife calls them um, Native American trees or Indian trees, but and I've never heard knee bent. That's that's a cool phrase, but it's the same. Yeah, that they're they're signs. Yeah, I'm signs. so glad that you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I've, I've, I've seen. Great. Yeah, I, I saw one about a month ago on a, on a walk. We were hiking in the woods, and I'm like, oh, there's one right there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so speaking cool. your language on that one. Yeah. I'm so, so glad. So this because is documenting the area and the history. Yes. Oh so I wanted to, I wanted to document, and I didn't want to just document like this one area because I think that, um, well, okay, for example, when my husband and I went on our honeymoon last year, mm-hmm. we went to Charleston and we went to Boone Hall, which is like this really cool big mansion. And there were a lot of um, like, what are they called? They're not shows, but they're like educational classes that go on at like state parks and stuff. Yeah, like little seminars. And, yes. And we were walking up on one that had, and we realized that it was over. So we were like, oh man. But there was a lady there talking and she was saying that she had um, Gullah heritage there. And all her family were like, all of her relatives that were buried in a graveyard on Dan's Island. Um, they had just like moved all their graves and taken up that whole grave site to put resort buildings. Oh my and goodness. she was saying that it was like such a tragic thing because those graveyard, like that graveyard was um, Gullah people and they were enslaved people. And so she was saying it's like, it's like covering up history or like people are not going to be able to see, she's not going to be able to go see her great grandparents and stuff where they were buried there. And she was devastated and talking about how they changed the name to Daniel's Island and um, just kind of covering up all that Gullah heritage there. And so that I have a song on this new album and it's, um, it's called stories only you and I can tell. And I had written it before I went to Boone Hall. But whenever I heard her, I was like, okay, now um, sometimes I write songs and I don't even know what they mean until one day. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Um, The lyrics talk about watching your heritage being bulldozed to the ground and Mm. watching the changing landscape of your time. And I think it's really, I think change is inevitable, but I think that sometimes it's really detrimental when, when things get 
swept under the rug or you lose something that's really important to you. Um, And so I could tell that it was really painful for her. And so I, so not just this area, but I wanted to showcase like a, a part of a part of something that is, is, is so unique to just this region. Um, so Southern Gothic Romance came out of just wanting to document the history of the area, the feel. And it's not, you know, it's more about like just also the South is a feeling, you know, like yeah. it is, it is such a feeling and there's so many different kinds of ways to look at the South. And one of my absolute favorites is like how, like eerie Southern ghost stories and stuff like that. <laughs> so Southern Gothic Romance is really just a culmination of wanting to narrate what's being, what what will no longer be a thing anymore. And also wanting to like capture that feeling. And so one of the ways that I wanted to do that was through music, but I also write poems and I wanted to film something that helps set the scene because I love visual aspects of music. Like I love to see a music video with something. And I felt like with all the songs I wanted, I wanted to be able to tell the story um, in, in just a long sequence and include poems and include, you know, just different visuals that would help capture what, I was what I was initially wanting to capture as I'm watching the landscape change. And um, so that's why I wanted to make a visual album. And it has been a real labor of love. Let me tell you, it is <laughs> <I> hard. Because <laughs> you tripled your workload. <laughs> I did. I did. I At first, I was like, this is a great idea. And then I was like, my gosh, this is a huge undertaking. Because I'm doing multiple videos for every song. So I'm doing an official video a visualizer video and then there's usually the way I've been putting these songs out. So I've been doing, I've only put out um, one single Mm -hmm. from this album and then I've announced a new single, which is called river. It's coming out June 2nd. And for both of these singles, I've announced it with a poem with a video to accompany the poem. And so by the end, when this album comes out, there will be a full version of this album with all the poems included. Um, just the, an album of just the music, a full visual album where you can just watch through, like like on a YouTube link, uh-huh. like just watch through all the in sequence of the whole album. Oh my gosh. And then there'll also be a book with pictures and paintings and the poems and and um, there's just a lot. <laughs> uh, wait, back up a little, so just back up just a smidge to the pictures and paintings. Because yes. as a lyricist and a storyteller, I know you can write, and I know you can sing, and I know you can play instruments. Have you just casually thrown in there that you can dabble on canvas and, and paint and draw, too? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> are you a prodigy? I mean, <laughs> what are you not capable of? Well, I don't actually know about <laughs> art, because I've sold some paintings, and my husband says I'm good, yeah. and my mom does wow. <laughs> but I, I don't know I I love to paint and I do oils I like to do oil paintings and I think when I paint with oils that my pictures turn out great if I paint with watercolor nobody better look at it it is that bad 
It is so bad. So I think that every artist has a niche. I cannot mm-hmm. really do acrylics. Like acrylic paint, I always look like I'm drawing a cartoon. But with oil paintings, I'm like, look at this. I am a master class, and I'm like so <laughs> proud. So I I should just say yes, I can paint, but I I'm not I'm not very great at it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. That's it's so a work cool. in progress. So they're going to be um, imagery of oil paintings. Are you going to? Yes. Okay. So it's going to be oil paintings and like pictures of the area that I like of you know the knee bent trees and stuff to go along with some of the poems that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, because I I really wanted to be able to put all the media, <laughs> all my all my art mediums together to tell the story, and so. Um, I'm I'm excited to be able to put some of my art out. I I do sell like some of my oil paintings. I have a website and I take them to art shows sometimes. Um, when I and yeah. the reason why I started doing that is because I realized I paint so much. If I didn't get rid of some, <laughs> I space. would. Yeah, I'm like I have to get rid of this. My this room is getting too full, so I take them and get rid of them. <laughs> Wow, you're just you're just a creator. I love that that um you know when you feel the urge, you just it comes out of you. And uh, I think I have seen some posts of yours on Instagram about some of your paintings. Now that now that you've mentioned that, so that is that is so cool. So Thank you. I always like to talk with the artists about balance, and this is just walking us right into that because uh, you said you were married a year ago. Yeah. Okay, so you're in the newlywed phase, I would say still. Mm-hmm. Our anniversary is in July, so almost a year. Oh my goodness! And when is your target date for being completed with all of this um, project that we're talking about? The album is going to come out. I think I'm going to put it out in November. Okay. I was originally going to put it out sooner, but then I was thinking I'd really like to be able to put out more singles from this album because I have worked on it so long. I'm like, I need it to have its moment. Yes. So November is probably when I'll put out the album, and then I'm also planning on um, directing it out a little bit, putting out the book after the release. Um, and um, I'm planning to have the visual album come out in different ways. So all the I have like a playlist on YouTube of all the videos that have come out already, and I'm going to continue like every time a new single comes out and a new video comes out, I'll just kind of keep adding them to that playlist. Okay. But I, my end goal is to have a big video, um, like just of all the videos, and if in this the perfect flow of um, from poem to song to you know just all the way through. So that'll come out shortly after the album. So <laughs> let's see if I got this right. So after you have the the visual um, the visuals and the regular music videos and the poems, which are which are I would say art pieces on their own then you're going to string them together into one compilation we'll call it and as its own piece of art so you're essentially creating art with yeah. art yes okay <laughs> i would i would think of nothing less from you that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah I, I tend to over overthink and overdo but that means that i'm just having more fun you know absolutely so so now back to the balance how how do you keep all that going? I, I, I like the fact that it's going to be stretched out a little bit. Sounds like that would that would give you some some time. But um, I know some people struggle with this because they they get super excited about making that album or making that music and whatever. And and it, I don't know is it 
is it so engaging and so enthralling that it can pull you away from the uh, the humans in your <laughs> in your life and <laughs> other things? Or do you find is there some magic sauce that you could um, tell everyone that how you you keep it going and keep the balance perfect? I really think I could let it um, because I'm such a I'm like a workaholic. Like I cannot. Mm-hmm. So I can't turn my brain off. I don't think I've slept in eight years. Oh my gosh. But like, <laughs> but the cool thing is like my husband is so excited about stuff about my career. Like he gets so involved and so excited about stuff. And so I was just telling him the other day that I feel like I can really look at the work that I'm doing. Cause I'm, Right, but I just had sinus surgery, but the weekend before I played, okay, not the weekend before, I played a Wednesday night gig, Mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, and then surgery on Thursday. And I was like, that was a really, and that's just kind of what a normal week looks like for me, just gigging all the time, and uh, (laughs) then going and doing something really random. Yeah, really random. (laughs) Like a surgery. Like do something really random. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so that was the balance there was like, do work, 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 work. And then something health related. And so I was telling my husband, I was like, with all this stuff that's going on, I really feel like, especially with gigging so much, I was like, I could really look at this as work, but he makes it so fun, so fun that it just feels like a date. Like we, I played a festival, um, Saturday or two Saturdays ago, I think it was it was such a fun day because we were at this really fabulous venue called Canopy and the Roots. And I'm playing there again on June 17th for a solo show. Okay. Um, and it's a really, really fantastic venue. And um, we did like in, in this cute town, Dahlonega, Georgia. Oh, yeah. I know and Monica. absolutely. It's so fun. And we got to walk around. I went shopping. Like I did my sound check and then we went and had ramen and just hung uh, out. In you're Dahlonega. making me hungry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anytime somebody says ramen, I'm down. I'm like, yes, I love ramen. And so that was, and you know, we, I got to enjoy some other artists that night because it was like a, it was a big lineup. And so after yeah. I sang, I got to hang out and watch other artists and we like drank some Coca-Colas and hung out. And I was like, <laughs> this is so fun because we got, I got to do my music stuff and, and, that is always so fun. And then I also got to just enjoy a festival and enjoy a town, enjoy being with my husband. So luck and I'm doing an on location shoot and I've done a lot of on location shoots for Southern Gothic romance and we get to travel. And that's one of the things we really like to do together. Just not related to work is just travel and go and do things and see things and Mm -hmm. try new things. And so I think my career has really, opens up the possibility to get to do that more yeah and get paid to do it <laughs> and so it's always nice. I was, yeah it's always nice and so i was i think that where the balance comes in for me is just looking at looking at it through the lens like this i'm really lucky that i get to do this yeah. in the first place um and that i'm i'm able to, to do something i really enjoy doing and i love doing and i'm lucky to get to do it with somebody i love and that he loves to do it too and we just treat it like dates we just treat it like oh wow we get to go travel and do this thing and i don't i don't look at my i know that my music is work and like that it is hard work but i also look at it as like really fun opportunities 
So I think that's where the balance comes in. Is also it's just me thinking, it's just thinking about it from from an excitement standpoint instead of a okay, I gotta go film this video, but then maybe we can go get dinner later. Like it's like we get to go and hang out on set and do this video, and and then we'll go and eat something fun in this crazy <laughs> town. Like you know, it's just yeah. fun. We just look at it like fun. I, I love that, and I think it it brings me back to your seven year old self. Um, hanging up your clothes because you you love the vibe the vibe of music what it brings to you and for you to yeah. finish your set and and sit and listen to other artists instead of you know packing it out and and heading back or whatever you, you you're you're attracted to that you're drawn to that and then to have a life partner there by your side who is your uh, number one cheerleader I imagine is yeah. super super cool um, mm-hmm. that's amazing I love that for you because it it would only to help to like push you further and, and have you create more because that's the greatest thing is that we get to hear it and we get to see you guys produce your music and your videos and all of that. And if you've got the dynamic duo there with you two gigging and mm-hmm. filming and doing all that, we get to enjoy it. So that, I'm yeah, so exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm enjoying it. He's also really good at taking pictures and stuff. So I was like, this is a great combination. Fantastic. So yes, you get some stage shots and, and casual shots and all of that. Love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like, film this, so I film this gig so I can put this on YouTube. He does a great job. That's amazing. I have more con, I have more content since he's come in my life than I have before. So yes, he's conducive to you being you. And yeah. don't we all want that? I think we all want that. That's amazing. Absolutely. Love that. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had a little section here on instruments. We talked about piano. We talked about guitar. So there's so many young artists that like, I think they get a little focused in on, well, I've I've got to learn an instrument or whatever. What would be your advice to anyone who maybe hasn't learned an instrument um, on like trying to, to get it down, but maybe not making it a chore? If you know what I mean? Oh, definitely. I definitely don't think it should be a chore. And okay. I made it a tour so much when I was learning guitar. I hated it. There, I, my mom was about to take my, she was like, you cannot take guitar lessons anymore because you hate this so much. You never practice. And I was literally about to quit (laughs) because I, I don't know why I hated it so much. I think, I don't know what it was. I think it's because it's hard to learn guitar. Yeah, it is. And especially in the beginning, you're trying to get your fingers to work. I think I was like 10 or 11 and I was playing on my dad's jumbo vintage guitar. Oh. And I was like, this is hard and I don't like this. I can and only stretch across two frets with my little hand. I know, exactly. That was so, that was the problem. And um, I just, I could not make that guitar sound good for anything. Yeah. And then there was a song that my sister would play all the time. And it had this guitar intro that was just the chord G. And strumming down, up, down, up, down, up. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I understand this. Yeah. I know what's happening here. So I sat down and I played it. I looked up the chords and my teacher had been like, just learn, learn these chords. And finally they came into my head and I was like, oh, I, I understand. Like I had a moment where it clicked. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right as I was just about to quit. I think I had like one last guitar lesson of the month and then I was oh. like, done and it clicked and I went and showed it to my guitar teacher and he was like okay well what song do you like like you want to just play this one or you want to pick another song what song do you like and 
after I started playing songs I liked, I fell in love with playing guitar. And so I think what I would tell somebody who's really struggling to get into it or struggling to learn it, like you will have the epiphany moment Mm -hmm. if you keep with it, even if you hate it. (laughs) If you keep with it long enough, you'll have the epiphany moment and then you'll love it because it's going to make sense all of a sudden. And with like, I, I, I consider myself someone who plays guitar and I consider myself a pianist. Like I can sit down at the piano and I feel like this is my home. But like when I perform, <laughs> when I'm performing, I'm playing guitar always. Like I don't think I ever play piano live unless I'm like singing at church or something. But mm-hmm. like I, I always play guitar to perform. But when I'm playing piano, I feel like I am my true self. And so when I'm, what I would say to somebody who's learning piano is like if you or even guitar or any other instrument, like if there's a if there's an instrument where you can just when you sit down there you can get rid of all your anxiety, you can play your feelings mm-hmm. out. Like you can just um I just I I look at piano as like just my friend. I, I sit down at a piano and I feel better <laughs> after I've played. It's a stress reliever. It helps so much with, with, you know, I don't know, just like focus. And so I would say there's going to come a time, like with whatever instrument that you're playing, where it's going to be just something that you look forward to doing or something that you feel really, I don't really even play necessarily a specific song when I sit down at the piano sometimes. Sometimes I just play, invent something because I write songs like I was play what I think sounds good and then I'm like okay well that was what my mind needed to hear and now I feel better like you will find that moment like you will have that epiphany moment and then it's going to be something you'll enjoy the rest of your life because I've heard that even people who have dementia can play piano like they can remember how to play and I think that's really cool so. Yeah, I, and I know music and instrumentation and, and that physical touch of playing an instrument kind of transcends a lot of boundaries. So that sounded surprising to me too when you said it, but now I can I think that makes sense. And I'm, we have a couple guitars laying around the house, and we have a piano. I'm a drummer, and and the drummers the drums are in the attic, so it's a hot mess around here. But you're inspiring me <laughs> to maybe uh, pick up some instruments and give it a shot because. Uh, mad respect that you're a drummer i took drum lessons and it is fun to play drums i don't (laughs) know that i was very good at it (laughs) but i i think that is awesome because i mean there you have to use so much of your brain to do drums like yeah that's what i i I constantly forgot my right and left i was like i'm a guitarist (laughs) i should know my right and left yeah that was gonna be my next question for you was like and i don't think i've ever asked this is do you ever struggle with the singing versus the playing or is it not a versus thing for you? It's a complimentary thing. Is it feel supernatural for you to be strumming, uh, playing the notes with your left hand and singing? Cause speaking of mad respect, I, I don't know one, one, I can't sing, but to do all three of those things sounds difficult to me as a drummer. That is so cool to hear you say that because, like, I was when I was doing drum lessons, I was like, "This is so." I mean, oh my gosh, it takes so much, so much skill. I don't really think about it anymore. Okay, I don't remember 
ever like when I learned to play that song that my sister liked at the time mm-hmm. I was singing along with it so I don't really remember ever thinking it was hard to sing and play but I know that like watching other people learn to play guitar they'll say like oh I, I really I don't think I could sing and play so I think it really just I I just sing all the time so it might have just been that I sing all the time because like I will sing washing dishes I will sing oh. walking down the road I don't even know that I'm singing most of the time. I'm just, Interesting. Yeah. So that that might be, a, but like when I'm performing, I, I I think that I've just gotten so I've just been doing it so long that like I don't I don't ever really think about it. It's all just muscle memory at this point, which is cool because then you can like interact with the crowd and joke and kind of turn your brain off of the stressful stuff and just have fun. I know, and that part, so like I just told you about the mad respect, then you add on that aspect. I see artists do that all the time, and I'm like, oh, come on. I would be stuck behind my drum kit, focused on every little bit just to make sure it would work because I don't know. But like maybe you said, over time, the rope memory, the muscle memory kicks in, and, and you can and you can do it, so practice makes perfect. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Okay, well. Okay. And I think... Uh- I think that also you just have to get to the point of like, I used to be so nervous about forgetting the words. And I, like when I started out, or even when I was like 15 and 16 and I was recording an album and everything, I would go out to sing songs that I felt like were so rote because I had like recorded them. And been, when you're recording, you hear them over and over and over and over again. And you yeah. play the same thing over and over and so I was like, I should really know this, but I was so nervous about forgetting the words that I would always forget the words. And I was like, man, I would all, and I think it was because I would always make myself feel really bad about it later. Mm-hmm. But then one day I was like, you know, it really doesn't matter because um, recently I was playing, it was a really, li- like I had a friend of mine going to sing at an open mic and it was her first time ever singing in, in like a, so format she's like i sing at church but i've never done anything like this so she asked if i'd play guitar for and i said sure and i went and then they asked me if i would sing and um it was like at the very end and then it was like i was like sure and so i played um a song that i thought was really really funny (laughs) (laughs) i laughed my way through it because i was not feeling any pressure at all and the next day, somebody was talking to me about it, and he was like, he had totally not remembered all the things that I thought were mistakes. Like, I said, oh, yeah, well, I did this and this. And he was like, I, he was like, really? Like, really shocked. And it kind of was an epiphany moment for me that people are going to mostly just remember mm-hmm. how you made them feel and the fun that they had. And they'll remember all the songs you sang, and they'll remember what you said. But if you made a mistake, you were probably the only one that's going to remember that. Unless you say, oh, man, and like cry on the stage or something, then everybody will remember that. But like, if you let it go, <laughs> chances are people will not know. You're, I think you're absolutely right on that one. In fact, we told our, our oldest daughter um, when she was growing up, she loves to sing. and But she would do that if she would she'd do a performance and you'd see it on her face if she knew she made a mistake. And then we knew. And as an audience person, I never pick up. I mean, on the drums, I probably will. I, if I'm listening to the drum, I'll be like, oh, wait. But that is an exclusion, right? The rest of it, if if Taylor Swift hit, Swift hit a wrong note, if you hit a wrong note, if it was the wrong chord, no idea. And so yeah, they don't know. Yeah. Oh, and there was a video of her that I saw the other day on Instagram where she forgot the words 
to her song and she forgot him twice and she was like you guys and like stopped singing and everything because she's like i forgot and everybody was screaming and laughing and like and everybody was staring at saying like oh she's so funny we love her and like nobody was saying anything like oh wow she's so bad because yeah. she's taylor's lift you know like everybody you know she's in a room full of people that love her and so I, that was, um, that's the takeaway for me is just like, you can, I think it's just the way, if you can connect with somebody enough to make them feel really happy, even if you make a mistake, then, you know, they, it, it's very forgivable and it's something that, um, is kind of expected because you're a human being and like, you might not, it might not be that you forgot the words. It might be that you, like, I don't know. There's so many different things that could happen on stage because you're, you know, it's a live thing and you're, right. you have no idea. I mean, it's also so high energy when you're on a stage in front of people. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime you're ever that excited or like that much, <laughs> or have that much energy, like there is, that's, that's a recipe for something to happen. <laughs> sure. Cause things are moving so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so much pressure, I think. And so, and you can, relax enough if you're relaxing under that kind of under that kind of stress and there's got to be something there's bound to be something and you're probably the only one that's going to remember it because you're hyper focused mm-hmm. when you're on stage you're hyper focused on yourself and the audience and everything yeah that that is so true and i think maybe that's a a barrier that is is not talked about much but i know um people of all walks of life struggle with 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 thinking about themselves in not a good way. We'll put it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I know like Olympians, they will, they will walk through a course in their mind before they do it. Right. They'll, the competition is, is hours later, but they're thinking about what it's going to be like. They're imagining or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe fundamentally under all of this is if you can just approach it with, I know I'm going to make a mistake. It's going to be in there somewhere. I'm just going to keep going and like be myself. Then, it should it should go really well and it seems to have done for you for years yeah i think i think you just have to give yourself permission to let it be what it is mm-hmm. um and just try to try to have as much you know if you i think we should all just no matter what we're doing i think for a an artist or anybody that's going to be on stage in front of people where you feel like you're going to be judged very analyzed yeah. and very judged i think I think there's so much pressure that comes with that where like your nerves can get in the way to the point where you don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't enjoy something, like what's the point? Right, exactly. <laughs> Cause like whenever I was growing up and I was t- telling my family, I wanted to do this. My, my parents were really supportive and they like took me to shows and they helped me make an album. Like they were always like, sure, like let's figure out how we're going to do this. But something we always said was like, when it stops being fun, we'll stop doing this because, yeah. you know, it's, it's like it, it has the potential to be something really not fun. Like, I mean, if you're so stressed and so in your head and, and everything, when you go on stage and it's not fun, like that's just putting, I mean, that. You're, you put your body under a lot of stress when you're on stage in the first place yeah. and then having, not having a good time. It's like, why even do it? Because <laughs> if you, it has, you know, being somebody that, I mean, also like, I think just being on social media right now is horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like people feel like they can say anything that they want to, as long as they don't have a profile picture, you know, and they just, they, people hide behind, 
anonymity. And I think right now it's just even people who are just, just normal, like teenagers just posting online, people are really cruel. And then add into the mix that you are trying to forge your own path or you are trying to play music or you're trying to get people to listen to your music. There's going to be somebody somewhere that says something really negative. I remember like my first ever hate comment. I was like, I I cried. I was like, Aww. oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> sad. But like now it's just life, you know, I'll just delete the comment and move on. <laughs> but I think it really does have the potential to be the scrutiny that you're under when you're doing something like this. I think it has the potential to be terrifying and not fun. And I think you just have to kind of give yourself permission to say, like, not everybody's going to like me and I'm not always going to do everything perfect. Like on stage, I'm probably going to make a mistake and there's probably going to be one or two mistakes in the show. And um, not everybody is going to like my genre. It might not even come down to that. They don't like you or your music personally. They just don't like that genre, you know? So it's like, there's so many things that could feel so personal. And so I think just the, and it goes back to having balance, like put yep. the barrier up between you and the negative things because they, I don't I mean, when you're a songwriter and you're putting out your feelings into the world, you have to have a barrier. You have to, because if somebody says something about your songs, like <laughs> I've always said, like, say what you want. Like if you think, I mean, it's so much like it's so much more to the heart. If somebody says something about your song, than if it, if somebody says something about your appearance or something like because because yeah. your songs are like your your feelings your heart like something you thought through a lot something you invested time and money and effort into putting out in the world mm-hmm. and so when someone doesn't like it it's like why why, why didn't I, you know so you have to have that kind of barrier of saying like I know that not everybody's gonna love this and then I will find the people that will love this and then when you have a group full of people, like a big room of people that actually love you and your music, it is so much more fun. And then you get this like great energy. Then a mean comment will make you feel really bad. So it's like, you just got to have barriers between like the good, the good stuff and the bad stuff. You kind of have to protect yourself in a way that's like, I, I have to just remind myself that, that whatever reception I like, however I'm received is going to be, just on everybody else and I can, I can exist in my own individuality over here. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. That's, that makes total sense. And you, you hit upon one thing I wanted to ask that um, I think you, you're going to have a great answer for this <laughs> because oh, I, I, know you, I know you feel it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just always so curious. I ask a lot of people this question that are in your industry is what would you say, how would you truly describe that? that feeling of truly connecting with an audience. So you're on stage, you're doing your own song, they're singing along, they're clapping, they're making eye contact, they're dancing. I, I can understand the mechanics of all those things happening, but I've never been the one doing it. And so you providing that, can you describe how you feel? What's your range of emotions when that kind of environment is, is vibing for you? Relieving. Relieving. <laughs> Relieving. Interesting. It feels fantastic after the fact. Like when you get off stage and you're like, okay, that went really, really well. And the crowd really liked this. And I feel really good. Like that's where it's euphoric. And you're really happy and you feel great the next day and everything. But like uh-huh. on stage during that time, 
it's basically just I feel so relieved that I'm playing to people that like it and they're receiving it well because I don't know. I mean, like, maybe I'm just a pessimistic person, but I think that my gut feeling is like, but like, what if they are super quiet and no one laughs at my jokes and I forget all of what I was going to say? I mean, like, you know, yeah. I think I was so relieved to see them having a good time and liking the songs. I'm like, okay, wow. Like I, they like this stuff. And I, I it's, it kind of, it gives me confirmation that I've done something that, relatable like because i write a song and then i'll think will anyone like this am i going to be the only one that enjoys this <laughs> and then it's so relieving to know that i wrote something that connected and so i mean i think that it's just it takes all the pressure off at the time and then afterwards it feels really really great do you think that you've evolved a little bit in that perspective take take yourself all the way back to your first bluegrass uh, jingle commercial stuff uh, on stage yeah. <laughs> all the way from there to where you are now. Do you still carry the same, um, I don't want to say trepidation, but the same um, looking for the relief that people like your stuff or has that waned a little bit with the fact that you've become more well-known and people know your songs and bigger crowds and that kind of thing. Has, have you seen a progression with that? Definitely. I remember yeah. that when I was singing, when I was very young, I was so nervous. I remember that I just was shaking the whole time. And I was having a great time. And I loved it. But I was so nervous. And I, one thing that I will say, if there was somebody who was nine years old who wanted to start singing um, and wanted to start singing on stage in front of people, I would definitely encourage that. Like, definitely do it. But I would probably give the warning of, like, there are some very... <laughs> harsh people on children. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Like, I think because I was singing on stage at nine years old and because I'm singing on stage at 23, I, I've experienced the way that people receive, received me in both childhood and my adulthood. And when I was singing on stage as a child, I was getting so much like weird feedback from people. Like, interesting. Just, you know, I, I can, I won't mention all of them, but I can yeah. remember times where someone said something really mean to me. <laughs> and I was like, I can't like, and as, as an adult now, I can't imagine seeing a child on the stage and being like, you know what, afterwards I'm going to go say something, <laughs> you know, like I can't imagine doing that. I'm like, why would that have happened? But then when you become an adult, it's like all of a sudden people think, oh, okay, well that's fine that she's singing. There's no threat there that she's singing. Like, I, I, mean, I really don't understand what that was mm -hmm. all about. But yeah, I'm sure there were some mitigating factors that prompted that either a little extra alcohol or someone who was struggling <laughs> yeah. with life or you never know. Right. Like you said, you just got to keep you that barrier know. up. Well, so mm -hmm. I, I'm exactly. Su I'm super glad to hear that. So now I'd love to fast forward with that same development. So we see you as a developing artist. You're developing that sense of confidence and the comfortableness of the stage and whatnot. So now I want to put you in um, the ideal situation. You're on a stage you've played in before. You're playing songs you've played before. This is the second night of two sold-out shows. And you you just have this feeling you know it's going to be super great and everyone's going to be totally into it. What, did, what would that look like for you? Instead of having the euphoria after, let's say that you get to have a euphoric moment during 
the concert during your performance. Mm-hmm. Can can you imagine that? What, it, what how how you did you know how would you would go with that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Because I, I, would be I so see happy. that for you. I think I see that for you. Like, I'm not a fortune teller, but but I can, I, the way that you're moving and your career is growing, it, it's very feasible that you're going to get to some, Thank you. some places. And so let's, let's go, go there mentally. And, and how would you, how would you react in the time? And what would you do? And what, what, what would your head be doing? Um, <laughs> I, well, I have, maybe I'll pull from like an experience I had before. Like right after COVID, my first real show back after COVID, I was playing a state park and um, there were all these like chairs set up in front of a stage where I was going to go and perform. And I was thinking like, who's even going to come? I haven't performed live in forever. And I was like, maybe I'll just walk around and talk to some people. And um, I said, hi, my name is Dana. And they said, yeah, I know we're here for you. Uh And I was like, what? And I was so shocked. And like, there was a big crowd. All the, the people had to stand in the back because all the chairs were filled. And I was like, wow, like, are they just here because they saw chairs? And I was going around <laughs> and asking people, like, do you actually know my songs? Like, do you know me? <laughs> or are you just here <laughs> randomly? And most of them knew me and my songs. And I remember it like that performance is one of that. My mom and Bradley and my dad says was one of my best shows. And for me, I feel like it was my absolute worst show I've ever done in my whole life. Why do you think it was the worst? Um, because I got so nervous. I got, I was so nervous the whole time because I was like, I've, I, I'm so, so there's a a person, his name is Tom Jackson Mm -hmm. and he is like a performance coach. And I've listened to a lot of the things that he says and he put it in this perspective. He's like, if you're in a crowd of people who maybe they don't know you, maybe you're the opening act for somebody and you're trying to get them to like you. It's like you're dating the audience. You're trying to impress them and uh-huh. really like you. If you've got a group of people that already love you and are already there to sing along with your song, you're married to the audience. But you want, and you, so you want to cater to all the things that they already love about you and impress them by doing the things that they are there to see, right? Yeah. I was so used to dating the audience. I was like, I, I was so shocked that people like knew me and knew my songs that it just made me so nervous. I was like, I've never, I've never, I don't know. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think that now after having that experience, I might not be so nervous. I might be mm-hmm. like, yes, I get to, I get to go perform for people who actually like, like me. So at the festival, the majority of the crowd that was there, I was married to that audience. Oh. Um, and that felt really great because they were singing my songs to me. And I was like, it's always surprising to me. It is always a shock when somebody is singing my songs to me. Really? Because I think in my head, I'm like, oh, nobody knows this. But then when they know it, I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're my, you're my new best friend. And so I think that if I was like in a situation where it was like two sold out shows and everybody in the room, I was married to the audience. I feel like I would be so, so happy that I would probably like, and if I was having that euphoria on stage, I'd probably not be able to process it until like a couple days later and be like, that was really awesome. So it would be very similar that the experience on stage would, would be different from the one afterwards, but 
in a more elevated state that you'd have that euphoria that you would have normally off stage afterwards relishing in what you've done and the feelings there but you'd have it on stage and then it would be even <laughs> more more so afterwards yes okay. even more so afterwards probably a big crash <laughs> <laughs> all the endorphins gone and you're just going to fall down and then just be like how can i how can i make that happen again that's yeah. what i'm that's what I'm always thinking about after a show or after a release, if it goes well, I'm always thinking, how can I make that happen again, but better next time? Yeah, that gets to my question because that's really, I, I love that artists create and I love that it comes from the soul generally, but there's a, there's also that element that is unavoidable, hopefully where the, the acclaim comes and the success comes. And then mm-hmm. what, what does that do to the person? Does it um, propel them to create more or does it um, scare them, I guess, in, in different ways? So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I'm not surprised at all after this conversation, but the, like after you've crashed and you've, you've woken up the next day, it's like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so amazing. Because I think you want to ride momentum. Mm-hmm. If there's any, if there's any waves that you want to catch, it's like, okay, now that I've done something right, I've got to stay standing up, which, you know, I think that's, that's scary because you don't want to make a big mistake and lose that momentum. But it's also like, how can I, it it pushes you to work. I think that that's what has been a common theme for me is if anything was ever, ever went according to plan or better than expected. I was like, okay, now I need to figure out how to keep riding this wave. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I've just met you, but I think I, I think you probably approach that from two perspectives and tell me if I'm wrong. You approach that from the, the, the commercial aspect, like you're, I think you're describing of, well, yeah, this, this is what people love and I'd love to give them more, but also maybe from an internal perspective, like, oh, they, they love what I've done. I want me personally to give more regardless of dollar signs and regardless of anything else. Am I right about that? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I think that there's, I think commercial aspect is really important if you want food on the table. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think, I think that for any songwriter, I don't think anybody's like, you know what? I think my big goal is with songwriting is to just occasionally play an open mic. I mean, like maybe that is, maybe somebody does, but I think the most songwriters are like, I want people to be singing this. I want sold out arenas you know mm-hmm. the whole thing and so i think commercial aspect is, is is in my head a lot like okay how can how can i make something that's appealing but i'm also very um what is the word wary of that commercialism right now is mm-hmm. so geared towards tiktok yes and it's like i am not eager to make something that can just be can like boiled down to less than 30 seconds of something that means nothing. I appreciate that. Like I, <laughs> I really do more than I can I tell you. <laughs> I think that commercially, like you want something that's going to connect, but then it's like, at what cost? Like I would rather be making, I think that your vibe attracts your tribe. And theoretically, if you have, even just like a thousand super fans, you can do something really awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, what I've been trying to do with music has been just how can I find a landing point that is just that connection with enough people 
where I'm not out there trying to think, how can I blow up on TikTok today? Like I want, it might be a slow burn. It might be kind of like taking, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about like people who I've seen blow up on you on, on TikTok and they have like one song blow up and then they're like, how can I do that again? How can I keep pushing toward TikTok or how can I blow up on Instagram? And I keep, I just keep thinking like once that's not happening anymore, mm-hmm. there's going to be some new way of consuming and that's going to be old news. So can you, can you connect with enough people that even when the consumption medium shifts, they're still going to be consuming your art? Does that yes. make sense? Like, no, it makes total so sense. I'm so glad because no, <laughs> that's you... something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I think it goes back to, again, I to do this to your seven-year-old self. When you approach something authentically and from the heart, and it's it's worthy of sharing. I mean, if you talk about like a serial killer or someone now want to do bad things and it's in their heart, that's something else. But you're yeah. you've got something beautiful and you and and you oh, just want to give it to, to to the world. Yeah, the the medium is going to change every once in a while because that's how people are. They're fickle, and I, I like this medium. This whatever. Um, we have VHS tapes and we have CDs and stuff that are that are gone <laughs> basically. Yeah. Because of that, but it's it's the core. And I think I, re- I, I feel like people who deliver things genuinely um, are always going to win. They're always going to come out on top because those of us who, who are looking for that, who are looking to listen to good music and good stories, we'll find it. We will follow you to the end of the earth, whatever the, whatever the medium is. And I, my first like favorite artist was Tom Petty. And I was sitting on the floor and watch his music. I had a DVD of his music videos. And my sisters, when they were getting ready for high school, I think I was like three years old. My <laughs> sisters are a lot older than me. Yeah. Um, and I was like, watch his music videos on DVD. And now I listen to him on Spotify and iTunes. And so I'm just, I think about how I, I would never be like, oh, that hook was so funny. I could make a really good joke out of that song. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I appreciate him and his art and I value like his work enough to where like I was watching it on a DVD then and now I'm I'm able to watch it on YouTube or I'm able to listen to him in different ways and so that's consumption habits change and yeah. mediums change but if you're making something that is authentic enough to the art that you know can really connect with somebody then it's not going to be a trend and then you're going to be forgotten I think that the um, main reason why people want to blow up on TikTok is they think it might be like a shortcut to fame, but mm-hmm. I think it's a shortcut to short-lived fame. So, and it could I be a shortcut to frustration too, because like you said, if it absolutely. goes once and then you can't repeat it, it's going to be frustrating. Absolutely, because you think, okay, well now people really like me, I can put out another song, and then it's like, well, it didn't connect the same way because. You can, it's, it's such a, the algorithm fights mm-hmm. against you, you know, <laughs> the like algorithm. It's, it might not, <laughs> the algorithm, it might not even have anything to do with that. People don't like your new song. It might've just been that, you know, you didn't have the right momentum on your algorithm that day or whatever. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really, I think it's a recipe for artists to get really discouraged. Which yep. sucks I've heard because that time we want again. that. Yeah. Use it for, for, for its purposes, but don't let it drag you down exactly you don't want to get discouraged in art why why keep going if why keep going in art if you're depressed you know (laughs) exactly 
like I said, my excuse is bad to do it, then it's like not worth it anymore. I think I see that a lot happening with burnout mm-hmm. with with artists right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a, uh, you know, nowadays when it's kind of easy to put your easier to put yourself out there through SoundCloud, for example, or, or other avenues, um, and and writers for the same reason, you know, you can get your stuff in front of eyes instead of going through you know a publishing house. Um, you also run the risk of immediate, you know, people not liking it too. And you gotta, you gotta be either pull your, pull your bootstraps up and get ready for the fight and, and create some more like you have for your whole life or, you know, like, Hey, maybe, maybe something else. So. Oh yeah. Like people didn't like me. Like now that means I have to not, you know, that's so sad. Like just because of, I think one time my um, husband and I, I, we're at a photo shoot and one of the photographers took a video on her phone and put it up on TikTok and it blew up. It got a million views and people, when people were commenting and they were all kind of unique comments at first. And then somebody commented one thing and every single person after that comment would be legit the same thing. Mm, yeah. And it was that, I don't remember, but it was something not nice, but I was <laughs> thinking like, it just took one person's negative comment and everybody hyper-focused on that. So I think, uh, and so I, it didn't affect me that bad. I mean, I feel like in times past it might have, mm-hmm. but I realized it was a pattern of negativity that started with something that someone noticed and then everybody had to comment on that thing. And so um, I think that what's important to realize with TikTok and stuff like that is like one thing can become a trend people might not really even have even hate your song, but somebody said something and they have to side with the, you know, the peer consensus. And so you can get really burnt out on a bunch of people's completely invalid opinions that they weren't even really feeling. Absolutely, They just said it in the moment. Yep. So then there goes the the rest of your passion for the rest of your life. And that, and that's kind of a shame too, because if that does happen to somebody who's the next Andy Warhol or the next Chana Jennings, I'm just going to throw you two together. How about that? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the first two names that came to my mind. I wonder why yours did. Um, you know, but if you imagine if that did happen to you, those people saying the things at the Bluegrass Festival and you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a psychiatrist instead or whatever. Yeah. And totally change gears. Imagine. Um we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, right? So Yeah, you don't want to miss your calling. Just you don't want to miss somebody. your calling. Yeah. yeah. And you know what you're calling if you feel like you would do it every day of your life for no pay. If you just love doing it. And then I, I get that from you. Thanks. I really would love to do this the rest of my life. I can't ever see a day where I, like I think maybe one day I might not be performing. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I'm like 85 and a half stopped. But um, I can't see that there would ever be a time I wasn't writing or at least writing poems. Yes. I think this this is kind of a lifelong thing for me. And I, I, that's that's cool that you say that because, yeah, I know the, the voice is, um, it, it's an instrument, it's a, it's a muscle, and over time it, you know, it, does, it does kind of go away for people. But you have so many other avenues of, of talent and of things to do that, yeah, you could continue to write poetry. You could paint. There's probably something else under the, under the hood that we don't know about yet. So, (laughs) (laughs) 
I'd love maybe. to Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Let's talk a little bit about future before we close here. Um, I, and we did this a little bit with your, your second sold out show, but um, what would you love to see uh, down the pike a little bit for your career, for your life? Um, I, I just love throwing great things out into the universe to see. Yeah. You never know. Right. So we've got a crystal ball. You've got it right there in front of you and let's, let's hear your, your, your pipe dream for all of it. Yes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. I have so many things. Well, I'm going to, since we're doing like to put it out in the universe, I'll just go like whole yeah. hog. Do it. I want, <laughs> I want like platinum album Okay. and I want a Grammy <laughs> and I want, um, like a big like world tour. And I'd like to not do all of that once. I'd like to do it many times. Like I'd like to kind of, I, I would, I'd love to see a career with longevity. Um, and my big hope is that I'm able to make, um, make enough lasting connections with people to where I'm able to, um, one, something that's been really important to me through my career has been mental health awareness. So I'd really like to be able to use my platform to, spread a little bit more about mental health awareness and help people, you know, realize that therapy is good and, and kind of tear down the stigma around depression. And um, so that's something that I'd like to see with my career is like being able to fulfill all my dreams and also help communities. So you capitalize a little bit on, on the audience that would be gravitated toward you to um, in, insert within your art um, a message of hope and a message of, you know, you can always get help and, and that kind of stuff. And you probably would weave it into, um, in between songs and you'd maybe put it in songs. So you'd like to include mm-hmm. that as part of your, your art. I love that. It's something I've been really passionate about for many years because, um, in 2017, I lost one of my friends to suicide and oh. that's been something that's been like kind of at the forefront of my, of my work in ministry for a while. It's just that I want to, I really, I think I would be singing and, you know, doing the whole, like, I want to do the superstar thing even without this um, as part of it. But mm-hmm. because it is part of it, I really want to use what I'm, what I'm working toward as you know, just that platform to, maybe help somebody else realize that they're loved and that their life is important and they have a purpose and they're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I want, that's something that's really important for, you know, for people to hear. And so that's something I'd love to be able to share with as many people as possible. And so that's why I'm hoping that like, if I ever, I'd really like that my career takes off in the way that I want it to, and I'm able to be in front of, um, millions of people and that would be the thing that I would want my legacy to be is that I helped somebody realize that they were important and that, that their life matters. I love that. That's, that's amazing. And can you promise me now that if, okay, if we just put that out there and we've manifested it, will you remember me and come back and, and yes. be on the show again? And you can talk about how things have changed. I would love to be on the show again. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I've come back three times if you'll let me. Oh, fantastic. Well, you're a fantastic talker. So as I've just looked at the time. It's been an hour and a half that we've spent together. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and it's been like I, 10 I minutes an, in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I was an interviewer for a while. Like I had a show in Vision Forge and I would interview um, artists. And I realized that be like, 
asking people questions is like pulling teeth because a lot of people do, just give you like a few word answers and you're like, okay, well, I've asked you all, like a hundred <laughs> questions and it's been 10 minutes. So I'm glad to hear that I took the time. Yeah, I know you did <laughs> great. <laughs> you did so well. I know well. it's a necessary thing for an interviewer to have somebody to talk. Well, of course, but yeah, um, I, I, this was effortless and, and pleasant. It was, I loved every second of it. So, um, thank you. And you, you have great questions. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Tell us how, um, people can connect with you in positive and uplifting ways. Of course. Um, the best way, like, uh, are you, I know you mentioned social media. Do you, are you active with that? Do you want people to DM you or do you not? Would you rather them just What's your ideal with that? Because it, some artists are, are are hungry right now, and they want the anybody to write them that they can, and they'll write, write right back. Or what do you? What? How would you like? And tell us about your website. Tell us all the places yeah. we can find you. Okay, so um, my website is janajennings.com, dot com. J a y n a jennings dot com, and then. Um, my Twitter got hacked, so nobody go follow my Twitter. Oh, no. Because we're not encouraging the hacker right now who's posting a lot about Bitcoin. Oh, my But gosh. my Facebook, <laughs> it's so depressing. It's a 14,000 follower account about Bitcoin. Oh, my. What a waste. And what's the process yeah. of getting that back? When did that happen? Twitter isn't going to get it back for me. I oh, submitted no. lots and lots of help requests, and then they said that I wasn't active enough with my help requests. And I was like, how was I not active enough? I've tried so hard. What? But anyway. So it's gone, gone? Yeah. So oh if my. you go and find it, there's someone has taken my Twitter page and changed my name. Well, for a while it was my name. And then they've changed it to something like Tammy. And it's all pictures of me and stuff saying, I'm a Christian and you should buy Bitcoin. And I was like, what? Why are you using my face to get people to buy Bitcoin? Like, you should read the bio. It's really crazy. It's like JMA Vocalist of the Year. Christian Bitcoin enthusiast, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, why are you pretending to be me, except for not me, but Tammy? Oh I'm so confused goodness. by that whole thing. Twitter won't let me have it back, so I'm not. I'm thinking I, I tried to make another Twitter, and then I was like, I should just not have Twitter anymore because they didn't help me get my account back. Yeah, I, I, so I kind of agree with you that. on that one. Yeah, because. That's just like having your identity stolen and you go to the police officer. I don't know if it's ever happened to you and you go to the police and they're like, okay, well, what, what were you doing? What, what, when did it happen? And it, it, you feel like a victim all of a sudden and you are the victim, but you feel yeah. like you're the one that did something wrong and you have to prove, then the liability is on. You have to prove yourself. Like I, I am me. Yes. <laughs> yes. And there's somebody out there that uses pictures of you to sell something. And that's like, where's my check? <laughs> yeah. Right. How rude. <laughs> Don't use my pictures of me like to sell Bitcoin. Like that's creepy. Okay. So we're scratching so, Twitter yeah. off the list. We got your website. No Twitter. But I am, I do have Facebook and I have Instagram and I would love followers on those. And, um, I, my DMs are usually open for like, if you want me to send you like a autograph or something, I've been doing that a lot lately. And I love that. That makes me feel so good. Really? <laughs> I will. I would do that. Oh. I would. Yeah. So, um, and then I, I do. I'm mostly active on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook especially because I go live um, pretty often on mm -hmm. there. So, and then um, my YouTube is definitely where you'll want to be following me because that is where my visual album will be released. Absolutely. Yes. The creme de la creme. Yes. <laughs> 
you don't want to miss it. So <laughs> you yeah, do. So hit that like and subscribe button and notifications too, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> My um, nephew, when he he's nine now, but when he was really little, he liked to watch Lego YouTube. And mm-hmm. at the end, it would always say, give us a thumbs up if you like this video, like hit the like button. But yeah. he didn't know that that was a thing, so he would just give it a thumbs up. And I think that's fantastic. So there was some virtual say, support there. Yeah, he would just he would just hold up his thumb like good job. That's hilarious. So if you like my videos, like the button and maybe give me a thumbs up. All right, a real one. <laughs> a real one, a real one at a concert <laughs> makes yes. me feel really good. Fabulous. Well, Jaina, I have loved getting to know you, and I can't wait to see what's next um, for you and. Um, anytime you've got something going on, um, for certain on Instagram, tag us and we'll, we'll put it out and, uh, cool, please, yeah, we'll connect back anytime you want. You're a joy to talk to. And I'm, I'm just so pleased you've got someone, um, you know, your husband is a cheerleader for you. That's propelling this you know, growth in your, in your art because we get to benefit from it. So th- thank, thank him for us. I will. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This was a really, really fun interview. <laughs> You're Thanks quite so welcome. Much. Yeah, I love talking to you. All right, and have a great evening, and we will talk to you the next time. All right, bye. Okay. Come down to the riverlands, howling like wolves in the moonlight. Step back in time with me, darling, watch me brown. Take me far from the airplane noise From the shiny toys that they're building on my homeland Take me down to the river and let me drown my woes Take me to the scorching summers Get this.